chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. This can be found on page 823 in your pew Bible. I don't think I can give any better introduction than the children's sermon to have explained context of this passage. So we'll let that sit. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, or at my left, is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. <coughs> when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. May God bless our understanding of his holy word. Amen. <coughs> Let's be in a spirit of prayer together and let us pray. Oh God, be in our hearts and in our minds, in our ears, in our eyes, that as we listen and as we sing and as we pray and as we think this day in this sanctuary, you might be with us, comfort us, transform us, bother us, Send us forth changed as your people. Amen. Again from that text, so Jesus called them and said, You know that among the Gentiles, well, their rulers lorded over them. Their great ones are tyrants. But it is not to be so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. It is called the waiter rule. The waiter rule. W-A-I-T-E-R. In job interviews. Has anyone heard of this? This is a phrase that was coined by former Raytheon CEO Bill Swanson. And describes how he judged a candidate for a job based in large part upon how that candidate treats the people who serve him or her, who the world might deem as below that person in social status. Like the waiter at a restaurant, 
the receptionist at the front desk, the security guard by the elevator, the clerk at the parking garage. In his many years as the very powerful leader of a Fortune 500 company, what most impressed or angered Swanson in sizing up the character, the character of a person was how they treated the waiter. Was he dismissive or polite? Was she rude or kind? If something was wrong with an order, was the candidate haughty and demanding or understanding and humble? As Swanson's very simple waiter rule notes, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter or to others is not a nice person. This rule never fails. If Swanson witnessed such imperious behavior, that candidate was quickly written off the shortlist for a job, and if he saw such tyrannical behavior in a peer CEO, he knew that he probably could not trust that person in negotiations. The waiter rule. I mean, I can think of other similar rules, like the pregnant woman on the train rule. Who gets up? Who gets up to offer their seat? And who just looks down and stays put? Or the door rule. Who looks behind to see if someone else is coming through and politely holds the door? And who flies through and lets it slam in someone else's face? Or the merge rule, one I'm very guilty of breaking. Who lets folks merge into traffic on a very busy road? Who flies through because they have a very, very important appointment to get to? Me, sometimes. The human character trait that ties together all of these day-to-day human interactions is humility. Humility, the ideal that when it comes to life, we are called, especially as people of faith and followers of Jesus Christ, to be humble, to be humble and kind, to not imagine that we are somehow better than or above another, because while they serve coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and I'm a big executive, no, humble, to be down to earth as in hummus, as in the ground, that's the root of the word humble, earth, hummus. To be humble, in the words of Alcoholics Anonymous, to be right-sized, right-sized in relationship to others and to God and in how we live side-by-side with the folks that we share the world. Not above others, not below others, but beside them. Just another child of God on the road trying the best that we can. So when I say that word humble... What do you think of? And more important, perhaps, whom do you think of? Last Sunday afternoon and evening, I got to go to the Patriots game, courtesy of my cousin, Jimmy Hudson, who somehow found me and my brother and my two other cousins tickets at face value for the sold-out event. And so talking to Jimmy, as we tailgated, I said, how did you ever do that? How do you get to go to so many games, and not just the Pats, but the Sox and the Bruins and Celtics? Now, Jimmy is a mailman in Dorchester, and he has been for 25 years, and so he makes a lot of human connections and friendships along his route. And 
He knows a ton of police officers in the city and the waiters and bartenders at Fenway Park and the parking attendants at Gillette. You get the picture? And I'm very biased, but Jimmy's just a nice guy. He's funny and he's humble and he's kind and he's down to earth. He's the kind of person that folks just seem to naturally want to help. And he to help them too. He'd never say it, but he's humble and he's kind. It's not rocket science to witness these traits in others or not, to strive for these virtues in our own lives or not, to teach our kids to be humble or not, to recognize that humility and kindness, humility and kindness form the core of who Jesus was and how he lived when he walked this earth to show us how to live. Uh, The disciples, not so much. In a way, they are stand-ins for all humans, for you and for me. And so in today's gospel reading, as I said, they're doing what they seem to do over and over again in the gospels. They're arguing with each other, this time about just who is the greatest, who gets to sit right next to Jesus in heaven, who is the teacher's pet, who gets to be first on the red carpet, who gets to zip to the front of the line, and who is the greatest, the biggest, the best disciple of Jesus Christ ever in the history of all messiahs, ever. And the disciples say, well, it's me. Pick me, Jesus. But Jesus, quickly and clearly, he dispels them of the myth of what it means to be great. To be great instead means to be a servant leader, to be right-sized. Jesus says, you know that among the Gentiles, their rulers lorded over them. The Jews in Israel were ruled by an imperious, contemptuous, cruel king, Herod, who always let his people know just who was in charge and that he was great. But friends, this is not for those on the narrow path with Jesus. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. Now that is radical. Greatness, not because of power, but because of humility. Greatness in service, not servility. Greatness as sacrifice, not self-centeredness. Greatness not on a throne, but on a cross. A cross. To clarify again, humility is never about humiliation or squashing oneself down or thinking less of oneself or shrinking. Humility, finally, is about authenticity. It is about always remembering that God is God and that we are human. Or as you've heard me say, my favorite prayer goes, Dear God, you are God, I am not, thank God. Amen. Not God. Human. And at our best, humble and kind. So think of this possibility. Can we be right-sized enough that perhaps in this current political and social climate of divisiveness, of rancor, of angry partisanship, what would it mean for folks on opposite sides of the issues to not declare their rightness so righteously but instead to believe that my opponent may actually have something to teach me. Do you hear that? 
Humility reminds us that no one, no one, no one political party, no one religion, no one orthodoxy has all the answers. Humility and kindness and civic discourse instead listens, really listens. Humility and kindness shows respect for a neighbor and love, especially for those with less power and less social status, the poor and the forgotten, the hurting, the addict, the coal miner, the child. Humility and kindness provides gracious space for dialogue, even for compromise, and always for the greater and the common good. Oh, that our current leaders might have such love and humility towards those that they so passionately oppose. So, too, when we are humble and kind to ourselves, life is just better. It's gentler. It's balanced. The first winter, ten years ago, I worked here as a pastor. I felt like I just had to be perfect. You know, do everything and be everything for everyone. And run so fast all the time and scramble quickly and pack my calendar full of, of uh, never-ending meetings and connections. Uh, it's like I was scared and insecure and arrogant all at the same time. Can anyone relate to that? But then three times in just one January week, I rushed out the front door of the parsonage, hit the steps, hit a patch of black ice on the driveway, and went head over heels and crashed painfully to the ground. I did it on a Monday, a Tuesday, and a Thursday. So I told my spiritual director about this, and he said, maybe God is trying to tell you something, John, (laughs) to slow down, to remember you cannot do it all. Life is humbling if we listen. Life is humbling. As I work with so many of you, my prayer for my life and for your life is this, that we might humbly recognize that we cannot do it all. Do you hear that? That we cannot be it all. That we cannot have it all. Be perfect parents, perfect students, perfect workers, perfect people, always frantically scrambling to live up to the pressure to succeed and for success, even at all costs in an intense place like Metro West Boston. Friends, I see this frantic, over-the-top energy in my life and in so many of your lives, too. And so my hope is that we would just be more humble, more human, just human, work less and play more, worry less and be more, strive less and slow down more, Humility and kindness is also about how we treat ourselves. Ourselves. Then finally, we might be able to live this life trusting that we do not have to prove anything to anyone save for our God. That in humility, if we ask God to work through us, if we do our best and let God do the rest, things will be well in the largest sense. As the Christian monk Thomas Merton wrote, All the good that you do will come, not from you, but from the fact that you have allowed yourself in the obedience of faith to be used by God's love. Think of this more and gradually 
you will be freed from the need to prove yourself and you can be more open to the power that will work through you without you knowing it. Humble, kind. Not first, last. Not greatness for self, but service to others. Not my way or the highway, but always our way, together. Not I can do it all, but instead, God, you can do it all. Imagine this for our lives and for the life of this world. So God, make us humble. Make us kind. Let all the people say, Amen.